Just a quick reminder, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, make sure you do, since up next, that story will be part of this episode's conversation. All right, enjoy the show. Here on Counting on Us, I get the opportunity to share the stories of those who have found the hope to push forward and overcome the challenges of their lives, like gaining independence, building a family, and healing from trauma. But how universal are their stories, and what are the threads that connect them with other ACH clients? And what does ACH's team of caregivers and professionals really want you to take away from their stories? I get help unpacking these questions from the members of the community ACH serves and directly from those whose mission it is to help them. On today's episode, my conversation with Mike and Lane Hackamack, Annabelle Muzio, and Raquel Smith about a recent story shared on the podcast. I'm Daniel Trevino, and you're listening to Counting on Us, a podcast presented by ACH Child and Family Services. Last episode, we shared the Sidwell family's adoption story. After choosing ACH for their agency, Brian and Yesenia enrolled in a series of classes at ACH that trained them in trauma-informed care. The lessons learned proved to be beneficial because once their sons, Eli and Nico, came into their home, the extreme behavior started. What was once thought of as part of a normal routine proved to be triggering for the boys, like daycare drop-off, eating dinner, and being alone in their room. For the Sidwells, it became clear that how they parented in the past was not going to work this time. My first guests are Mike and Lane Hackamack. Both grew up in very close families where adoptive cousins and friends were the norm. They would eventually meet through mutual close friends and spend the next few years dating. Later, their lives would forever change for the better once they discovered they were pregnant with their daughter, Madeline. Their family would then continue to grow with the adoption of their son, Levi. Welcome, Lane and Mike, to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. What did y'all envision your family looking like? We So adoption had always been something that I was um, interested in doing. In fact, I really didn't have big aspirations to have biological children. Um, Madeline surprised us, and obviously we were thrilled about that. Um, but I think adoption was always something that you and I talked about from very, very early on in our relationship. Yeah. And I mean, just me personally, I always envisioned uh, two kids so that we weren't outnumbered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we had talked about adoption, talked about fostering just an idea just that we were both comfortable with. Um, and then I think also that was, um, you know, as actually going into action about it because there there was some uh, complications, I guess, when we were trying to have kid number two. Well, when we decided that we were ready to grow our family, we sort of – I'd been researching foster agencies already. Right. And I think we just sort of decided we're going to stop trying to not have a baby and also start this fostering process and whatever sort of pans out first is what we're going to do. Um, and it turns out we ended up having some f- fertility issues. Shocking. And trying to have a kid, you right. can't. <laughs> um, 
And so fostering just was the seamless process forward. And neither, I mean, it didn't feel like a disappointment to either of us because it was something that we had both sort of already hoped for. Mm -hmm. And how old was Levi when he first came home? He was just, he was almost one. So he showed up the week before his first birthday. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then how old was he when he was adopted? We adopted him a month after his second birthday. Okay, cool. Yeah. So still like a baby little. Yeah, just a little guy. He was so cute. And um, how would you describe Levi? He's awesome. He's awesome. (laughs) If I had to, I feel like, I I think I said this in our pre-interview, but Levi is a man of extremes. Whatever he feels, he feels to the max. He is the most loving, the most hilarious kid I know. I mean, there I do not get told I love you more by anybody than by that kid. And it is with huge giant hugs. Um and on the flip side, when he's upset, you sure do know. Like he's mm-hmm. he's a man of extremes in those arenas too. So um Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Um, all right, so now let's kind of transition to the episode that I had you guys yeah. listen to. So it was the Sidwell story. Mm-hmm. Um, after listening to that story, what could you relate to in terms of their challenges that they faced? I Listening to Yesenia talk about Eli's um, challenges when he's having a tantrum and being afraid to be alone is definitely something that we can relate to. Um, Whenever Levi is having those episodes of just having some really big feelings, you know, we similarly tried at times to say, okay, like, let's, we'll go calm down in your room. And we quickly learned that leaving him was not an option. Um, he just got very fearful and incredibly worked up. So, you know, we've had to adapt to if he's having a hard time, we take him to his room and one of us has to stay in there with him. We close the door and just give him the space to have all his feels and calm down in a safe environment. Um, but he really needs the presence of a calm grown up in the room with him. Yeah. I know during our pre-interview when I was asking you some of these questions, I mm-hmm. was curious because, like we just mentioned, when Levi came into your home, he was just barely one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if he didn't remember, does have all that memory, Sure. does he still experience, you know, some of this, like the trauma, like the behavioral yeah. challenges? But it sounds like it is the case, right? Yeah, I, um, I definitely think that we see them. I mean, he doesn't have the memory to point to, but he can feel it in his body. There was a huge loss there. And especially now that he's old enough and we're able to talk about it, we talk a ton about his first mom and dad. Um, He talks about being sad that he doesn't know what they look like. He's trying to sort of reframe um, memories for himself. Like he'll tell us stories about his time with them that we know he didn't experience, but he's just trying to sort of make sense and kind of... He'll tell you stories. He'll tell us stories like, um, you know, he'll say, oh, well, you know, my first mommy and daddy would put me in a crib as a baby and sing me songs. And we know that that wasn't the case based on just some information that we have. But it's interesting to see him sort of try and reframe Mm -hmm. those memories and kind of heal that for himself. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else in in that story that resonated with you guys 
I mean, I, I was going to say triggers and then training as well. I know that that was uh, um, brought up in the in that podcast and just going back and kind of remembering all the trainings and stuff that we did with ACH, um, as, as my wife is alluding to previously is, is being able to deescalate. And, uh, you know, I, I forget exactly how that was gone over in training, but well, isn't it TBRI TBRI? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. TBRI, and so right. isn't the whole purpose of that is to help, empower the child right right Right. yeah there's a quote that says um oh i can't remember what it is but it's something like you don't have a bad kid you have a kid who's having a hard time and it's really about you and your child against that hard time and not you against your child right and so i feel like they were really good at helping us see um past the behavior and to the feelings of what those kids might be experiencing and that you know, you have to relate to it differently than you might a child who's always had a safe upbringing. So what did you both learn or what was surprising about this journey? That's a good question. We've been surprised to see how affected we are and how affected Levi is um, by the whole process especially given how young he was when he came into our house. Um, it has made us stretch and grow in ways that I don't think that we really would have had to otherwise get to know ourselves better, um, kind of do some emotional growing up so that we could parent him properly. And that's still going on. Yeah, we'll just keep doing that forever. <laughs> yeah, what did you have to change within yourselves, if you can elaborate? Sure. So for me, I... Um, I had to really learn that when he's having a hard time, that the number one thing that I can do is let him borrow my calm, that I might be getting really worked up inside myself. It's hard to share a room with somebody who's throwing a giant tantrum, but that the best thing that I could do is calm myself down so that as he is um, working on his own regulation, when he's ready, he can come and borrow calm from me um, so that we're not just sort of escalating each other. How about you, Mike? How have you changed? I mean, and it's still a work in progress. Um, But like, I mean, for me growing up, it was, I guess, more, you know, I guess old school disciplinarian type uh, fashion. And that just doesn't work. And, uh, you know, to Lane's point about finding the root cause, right, of, of what his what's causing an outburst or something. It's just uh, slowing down and uh, creating the time to work through it with with Levi. I think um, you said creating the time. Yeah, creating the time. Like part of it is uh, just <laughs> slowing down. I mean, it, just with everything we have going on in our lives, just slowing down and and uh, not just trying to you know gloss over a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that may seem small, but it's it's realistic. <laughs> no, no. I think one of the things I learned from telling all these stories is the power of just giving, you know, these children or young adults the time and space to feel. Yeah. Like the full range yes. of what they're yes. experiencing. It. Yes. Let them process it. You know, for a lot of foster kids, whether 
they just don't get a chance to do that because yeah. they feel alone or they don't trust the people that they're with. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think I love that you're saying that because even just if we didn't have all this trauma, we all need that. Sure. Right. That's yeah. There's a, there's a reparenting that happens. I think for us, as we're sitting there talking to Levi and saying all feelings are welcome here. We just have to um, make sure that we're expressing them in safe and kind ways. I also need to hear that, that like my anger is welcome. I just need to find safe and kind ways to express it. So um, it's, it really has felt a, like there's been a lot of healing of myself as I've learned how to heal my son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're validating each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Yay. thanks, guys, for coming to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Yeah. And um, take care. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Dr. Wayne Carson from ACH Child and Family Services. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here at ACH, we know that the community is counting on us to get it right. So for over 100 years, ACH has remained true to our mission of protecting children and preserving families. Follow us on social media or visit our website, achservices.org, to learn more about what we do, how to get involved, or if you'd like to support us. Now, back to the show. And we're back. I'm here with Raquel Smith and Annabelle Muzio from ACH's Foster Care and Adoption Department. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having having us. Can you both introduce yourselves and what exactly you both do here at ACH? Well, I'm Annabelle Mutio. I'm the adoption supervisor on the ACH side. Um, and what I do, I work with the waiting families, the ones that have come through the process and are ready to adopt children. I work with them to ensure that they have, you know, not only the proper training, but support. How about you, Raquel? So I'm Raquel Smith, and I am the supervisor on the foster care and adoption side. My job is I train the FASs. That's what we call our case managers. We're special. (laughs) So we give them a special fancy title. And so we're the support, right? So all the families that come in on the foster care side, that's where we are. Support, support, support. We train. We're in their homes. We're available 365, 24-7. We are. So once a family officially completes training, they come to my side. So, yeah, that's what my job is. Can you both speak to the need or the urgency it is to find forever homes for these children? Oh, it's of the utmost importance. Um, I, I look at it like I don't want a kid in foster care for years. I don't. There's so much trauma that these kids have already experienced, whether it's a small amount or a big amount. And yes, in foster care, they're safe. They are. However, it's important for them to have stability. And stability for me is not fostering. It's not. Stability for me and for anybody else is finding your forever home. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. It's just Permanency is a, that's the goal for all of our cases, whether it's with kinship or bio family or anything like that, or you know, with a an adoptive family. These kids need permanency. They need a safe place to land, essentially. You know, after everything they've gone through, and it doesn't matter what age they came into. We maybe have littles that 
maybe they may not manifest behaviors or you may not outwardly see it in that moment, but still, you know, that trauma is there. And so they're going to remember. So we need these families that, you know, are willing to say, you know what, I can do this. I'm sorry this happened to you in the past, but I'm here now. And, you know, with nurturance and guidance and support, I think our kids are, you know, they can make it. How about once these children are placed in their homes, what is important to understand about them in terms of how to relate to them? The biggest, I think the the first thing that families need to understand is trauma. We try, we do not try, we train our families to be trauma-informed care, right? As Annabelle said earlier, sure, you may get a four-month-old, and a lot of families are thinking, yeah, right. What what trauma has this four-month-old went through? Well, That four-month-old was with mom, and since this baby has been born, that is what this four-month-old knows. It's mom. There will be some trauma there. There is trauma. I was removed from my home, whether I'm four years old, four months. And so that's like the first thing that parents have to understand. And I think in fostering, again, you're providing a safe space and a safe haven. And so you anticipate just all the beauty and rainbows. And sometimes that's not what it looks like. The The first three months of a placement is your toughest. It is. Because you're getting to know this child. The child is trying to connect with you. Or maybe the child is so disconnected that they don't want to. And that's frustrating for, for families because they're thinking, what am I doing wrong? I'm providing a safe space. I'm, I'm doing all these things, and this kid has no interest in me. Well, you have to, again, go back to trauma-informed care and put that that hat on. The main thing about the trainings, I guess, that I hear from these families is that there's a reparent, reparenting going on. Yes. That they have to learn how to relate to these children differently. Yes. And how they were raised is not going to work for these children. So can y'all kind of talk about that process of trying to communicate that to the families of what needs to change? Well, I think for our families, a lot of it is understand that, you know, don't compare these kids to your kids. That's the number one. They're very different. Your kids may be sure they had trauma of their own kind, whatever that is, but these kids have a very different trauma. They come in from background. And so you have to meet them on their level, you know, understand that sure. What, whenever there's a behavior that comes out, what is behind that? What is causing it? And trying to get to the root of that. And that's where all those TBRI skills kind of come in. Um, understanding that, yes, something, they're feeling something and they're not able to communicate it. Yeah, no, I know that in the Sidwell episode, um, they both had an experience of dropping off Eli at daycare. And that was so difficult for them because they mentioned how, you know, Eli had never been in that kind of daycare setting. And he was just terrified of being dropped off in this place. But of course, as we know, if these children have had experiences of just being dropped off at a home and not being told why they're being dropped off at a home, like they remember that. And um, I, what I liked about that moment is what she did is as she's having these frustrations, not knowing how to help this child, their child, they called ACH yes. for that support. So, yeah, can you kind of talk about those phone calls, That how common that is? Those calls are, are very common, but I've gotten on several phone calls. I've gotten on Zooms <laughs> at the most craziest times of the day or night and just to talk a family off a ledge. Yeah, what, what do they need to hear from you? 
They just want you to listen to them, right? A lot of times it's like, this is the rundown. This is what happened. And then they tell you, yeah, I just needed to say that. And I'm done. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Or they want to hear, this is what I did. This is the rundown. Tell me what I did wrong. What could I have done different? A lot of the times you'll be surprised. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say when it's, tell me what I could have done different. I say, well... You did everything that you were supposed to do. You did. So those phone calls are so common, and they they want reassurance, and they just want to feel supported in that moment. And so we try our hardest, our hardest, to make sure that we support our families because it they need it. So, I mean, you both of y'all had a chance to listen to the, our previous episode with the Sidwells. What uh, stuck out to you guys or what resonated? For me, I was... I felt a sense of pride for our agency overall, but especially Foster Adopt Department when I heard them say, Miss um, Sitwell say she closed the door, right, when he was having a meltdown. And then she heard like a scream and it was a different scream. And so she opened it and the, the glazed look in his eyes and she sat back for a moment. And so she said, I realized he still needed his time but he also needed to know that I was there and he wasn't left alone. And so for me, I felt, yes, she got it. Trauma-informed care, TBRI, like she gets it. She understood that. Yeah, I think the big part too was kind of when she was saying where he had the meltdown when she closed the door. So hearing that kind of the scream and the yell, we know it's different. And that's coming from somewhere very different. It's almost like a primal, like, oh my gosh, this is truly, you've left me, you've abandoned me, this is it for them. And for them it is because you sl- you close that door, you know, who many who knows how many times that happened as a child before that somebody closed the door and that was it, they didn't come back. Mm-hmm. What do you think we can learn from the Sidwell story and, well, and the Hack Max? Listen, what I got from them is that they put the work in and I feel like that's the big key takeaway, right? And it, when I say put the work in, I don't just mean they opened their home and became licensed and they said, we're here to foster. So this is what putting the work in. No, they took the time to learn that child, to connect with their child, to restructure their mind, their parenting. That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. So that's one of the key, the key takeaways I feel like anybody could learn from that is that you have to put the work in. In order for this to benefit this kiddo and you, you have to put the work in. I think both of them had pretty, you know, they may have come in with a certain mind frame, you know, but then here's the kids, this is the cards that you're dealt. And being showing that vulnerability, being able to be vulnerable yourself, saying, you know what, I don't have all the answers. Even though I've parented before, this child is very different than my own child. And so I need to understand that and all the tools I've been given and not being afraid to ask for help. Like, you know what? I don't understand. Teach me more about that. So I think that's, to me, one of the big giveaways, that takeaways from that. Like, you know, you may have expectations, but let's bring them to a realistic level. And then don't be afraid to ask for help because that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I know both of them would say it was all worth it. Um, all right. Well, thank you both for speaking with me today. And um I appreciate all the work that you both do. Thank you for having us. We appreciate you. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate it. That's all for today. But make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss the next two episodes we release every two weeks. 
And if you enjoyed the show, please share, rate, and write a review. It makes a huge difference. Also, if you feel inspired and would like to support ACH in its mission to protect children and preserve families, then you can donate now at achservices.org, or you can find the link in the show notes. Counting on Us is a podcast presented by ACH Child and Family Services, written, edited, and produced by Daniel Trevino. Special thanks to Mike and Lane Hackamack, Annabelle Muzio, and Raquel Smith. Mixing by Panoramic Sound. Thanks for listening.